All right, so welcome to School Connections. Today's topic will be about managing conflict and family centered services. So for those of you who don't know who I am or are new subscribers, my name is Mrs. R and I am an elementary school teacher. So most of my background is in education. But for today's topic, I wanted to include the perspective of my guest, Miss Chapla, who is an SLP. So welcome, Miss Chapla. Hi. Well, first, I'd like to say thank you for having me here today. I'm excited for our discussion. Awesome. All right. Well, let's jump right into today's topic. Um, I have an activity planned for us today, but before we do that, I would just like to start off with a few definitions. So what does family-centered mean to you and what do those services look like? So when the term family-centered services is used, this is referring to not just the child being at the center of the intervention, but the family as well. So for every family, the concerns, goals, and outcomes are going to be different because every family is different. So when families are receiving services from either an SLP, OT, or PT, those professionals are going to put the family as a whole in the center of the decisions that are made opposed to just the child that they're working with. Perfect. Yeah, that's a great way to summarize that. Um, okay, so now what I want us to do is just a quick activity for us to get the ball rolling. I have a different conflict topics regarding family center services in this baggie, and I'm going to randomly pick one at a time, and we'll just talk about it. Sounds good? All right, let's do it. All right, let's pick our first one. First topic is cultural differences. So. How do you handle the values and beliefs of other cultures regarding differences that may conflict with your own bias or your own personal beliefs and values? So working in early intervention, you're going to come across multiple families that are going to be different from you. And when you're first starting to work with a family, it's important for you to know, you know, do some research on that culture and know what you're going to be working with and who you're going to be working with before you just dive into therapy and interacting with the family. One of the interviews that I particularly think is extremely helpful is the family values and activities interview. It's an interview that's going to ask questions um, about basically saying, tell me about your family and asking about what their beliefs about parenting young children are and telling you about their support system. And there is actually an activity checklist too that allows the parent or caregivers caregivers to circle activities that are relevant to their life and culture, whether it be play activities, community-based chores, or even the caregivers activities for their daily responsibilities. So typically after I'm able to gather all that information from the family, then I'm able to get an idea of what's important to them and how they live their lives. And I have to recognize that may be different from my own. And I have to be aware of the differences and make sure that I'm not incorporating my beliefs, routines, or my parenting style perspectives into someone else's life, but capitally capitalizing on their own. Um, I have gone in to provide services to a family where I had concerns based off my education and clinical expertise, but the family didn't agree with me. So there was a slight conflict there for myself. And right there is when you have to become aware and step back and say, all right, this is my bias and say to yourself, this doesn't affect the family. So this isn't where they want me to intervene. Okay. So you have experienced something like that. So can you, can you provide the example of that? Yeah, sure, of course. So the family that I previously was referring to um, before, the conflict there was that when I was in the home, I noticed that they were spoon feeding their three-year-old. And I immediately thought to myself, can this child not feed themselves? And, you know, so I brought it up to the mother and I found out that it wasn't that the child couldn't feed themselves. They clearly could. They had the skill to do it, but in their culture where they grew up, they feed their children until the age of three. So for them, that wasn't a skill that was concerning and I had to step away from that because it was that cultural difference. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I definitely see how it can be a little conflicting when looking at it from both, you know, a personal point of view, 
um, and compared to a professional standpoint. So I actually remember a little while ago, I taught English online to children in China. And we all know about how us teachers oftentimes use the word silly, right? You're being silly. Stop doing that. Um, so in their culture, silly actually means stupid. So that's something I had to educate myself on prior to teaching these kiddos. Um, in certain cultures, even eye contact is a sign of disrespect. Whereas here, you know, when we're talking to a child, we expect them. We automatically expect them to look at us when we're talking to them. And then another thing that I also learned while, you know, teaching online, these kids online, is that their household size, you know, at a certain point, these kids have mom, dad, siblings, and both grandma and grandpa. Um, Because in their culture, that's, you know, that's normal to have all of them in that same house or in that same home. So I feel like these are all things that are good to know or be familiar with, at least. Um, And prior to provide those, you know, effective family-centered services. So that's actually a perfect example to address here because for me, having that many caregivers could be a bit stressful when I'm working in their home environment and coaching multiple people because I'm mainly used to maybe mom, dad, and possibly siblings. So, I mean, having grandparents there, that's going to be busier for me. And for that child, having all those people there, it's not going to be a distraction to them or feel like a busy household feeling. Um, So I would have to adapt to that because it's my job to accommodate what that family's routine is and to make sure that it's relevant and functional for the family and not for myself. Right. Okay. Okay. So let's elaborate on that. Let's talk a little bit more about therapy in the home environment. So when you're coming up with an intervention plan, how do you know what materials to choose? So the main thing to remember is that we're coming into someone else's home, you know, that child's natural environment. So it's important to make sure that you're using their toys, their books, and doing activities that are relevant to their family and culture and things that they typically would partake in. And all those materials that the family has are going to be relevant to their home life and their culture, opposed to me bringing in materials or activities that are relevant to me and not them. And therefore, that's not going to be functional for the family. And it's going to limit some generalization towards their goals and outcomes across multiple areas of their life. Absolutely. Wow. That was a great first topic discussion. Um, so let's move on to our second topic. And our second topic is linguistic differences and how you're able to manage any conflicts that may arise there. So how do you provide services to families that do not speak English at all? How do you know you're meeting their needs? And if there's a clear, you know, if there's a clear language barrier. So when you're not bilingual and you're working with families who don't speak English proficiently, then that is when an interpreter is going to become your best friend. Collaborating with an interpreter and having them present for all meetings and interviews because they're going to be that connector in making sure that all the information is relayed accurately and they're going to help bypass that language barrier. You know, you need to make sure that you get all the information and you're not missing anything because that can make a difference in treatment or even lead to a later um, conflict down the road with the parents and the intervention process. Um, also there are two languages when there's two languages to account for, you need to attend to both. So you're not just neglecting a part of them in regards to their culture because you don't share that language with them. Language transfer is a component to consider because not all words directly translate from one language to another. For example, you know, Spanish has a lot more verbs and verb inflections than English. And we need to make sure that they're receiving all the language input from both languages. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. I feel like nowadays you see, a ch- you know, when you see a child come in from another country, they're automatically expected to learn English and just dis- completely disregard their native language. So that's good to know that both languages should be addressed. Um, okay. So now we have a few questions coming in from our subscribers. The first one asks, 
What is a challenge you often encounter when working with other professionals when providing family-centered services? I would have to say the overlap in professions. You you know, you have to be able to recognize what your scope of practice is and when there's an overlap with another professional, such as like an OT, and be sure that you collaborate, but also stay within your scope of practice while working together. You know, and additionally, team building is going to consist of recognizing the other professional's role, and it is a process that requires everyone on that team to be committed to working together with that respect for each other. I will say that a defined process that has been established can make things easier in terms of their particular responsibilities. Perfect. So our second question is, Ms. R, how helpful do you find um, collaborating with an SLP in the school system is for you? So I personally love having multiple individuals come in and provide those additional services to my students especially when they're willing to share, you know, students' progress along with, you know, tips and tricks that I could implement in the classroom um, just to further facilitate the child's learning process. So, yeah, I, I love it and find it extremely helpful. All right, so that is all for today. As always, make sure you go to our website for a quick episode recap. There you'll find additional resources for you guys to look at. And Ms. Chapla was kind enough to provide some articles that she was referred to uh, throughout her career. Yeah, I supplemented two or three articles and they're all very um, helpful resources for anyone who wants to learn more about early intervention, um, managing conflict and family-centered services, and professional collaboration. One of the articles is about supporting cultural and linguistic differences in families. The other one is about effective team practice relating to team building and even provides a parent's perspective and then a book about early intervention as well. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Be on the lookout for the next one coming out March 20th. Thank you again to Ms. Tapla for joining me. This was great. And it was great listening to different perspectives on how to manage conflict in family-centered services. Bye. Bye.